0: You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs.
1: Hello and welcome to The Good GP. My name's Sean Stevens, and today it's my great pleasure to interview two of the shining lights in the field of percutaneous management of cardiac valvular disease. Dr. Michael Muleman, cardiologist at Perth Cardiovascular Institute and director of the cardiac invasive labs at Sir Charles Gardner Hospital and Associate Professor Jürgen Passage, cardiothoracic surgeon at Sir Charles Gardner Hospital and at St. John of God Hospital in Subiaco. Welcome, gentlemen. Can you please explain for me what TAVI, or transcatheter aortic valve implantation, involves and who is suitable to have this procedure
0: done? Yeah, thanks, Sean. So TAVI is a minimally invasive procedure to treat severe aortic stenosis. Traditionally, we've treated aortic stenosis with open heart surgery. But even the in the very elderly, those patients often got no no treatment other than medical treatment, which is not very effective for aortic stenosis. So, aortic stenosis is a very common acquired condition, and it's an aging process. And it's where the valve wears and tears, and the pressures or the gradients across the valve increase. The heart then starts to struggle, and and eventually it will fail. And TAVI is a procedure that we can now use. Where to insert a new bioprosthetic valve at the annulus, which is where the old valve is. So with traditional open heart surgery, the valve would be removed surgically and the new valve is sutured in. But in transcatheter aortic valve procedures, the valve is put in by a percutaneous route, most commonly by the femoral artery. Being an interventional cardiologist, we're very, very comfortable using femoral approach and the sheath is put in by the femoral approach and then The valve, which is prepped in the lab, is then loaded onto a catheter, placed via the sheath uh, up to the annulus where the old valve is, and then the new valve is either expanded slowly or with a balloon, and the old valve is moved out the way. The new valve then starts to work straight away. The procedure can be done under local anaesthesia or general anaesthesia. The patients are usually up and mobile later in the day, and most patients, even the very elderly, can go home the following day. So in terms of what patients we would choose, these patients have severe aortic stenosis and this is an echo diagnosis, usually where the gradients are greater than 40 across the valve or the aortic valve area is less than one and they are symptomatic. There is some controversy about doing severe aortic stenosis in asymptomatic patients, but the predominant patients that we look at are are quite symptomatic. Age is really not a limit, in fact, In some studies, up to 10% of patients are over the age of 90 and they have just as good results as the younger patients and they're still discharged home, often within 24 to 48 hours.
1: Well, it's amazing technology. Basically, you can do patients that have a lot of other comorbidities that you can't do via open means and they're in and out of hospital far, far quicker with great results.
0: Yeah, so when the studies first started... Over 10 years ago, they took very uh, elderly patients with lots of comorbidities who were not surgical candidates. But over time, we're now taking patients who are low risk and who are certainly suitable for surgery. And this is the growing field. At the moment, uh, in some, we're certainly doing the intermediate to high risk. And uh, we're looking now towards the lower risk. And this is something that will come in the near future. And it's led to this uh, heart team approach where. We, each patient is presented at a, a meeting where there's a, an interventional cardiologist and a cardiac surgeon, as well as other physicians, and we look at each case, both the technical and anatomical aspects, but also the patients themselves, and we then decide as a team which is the best approach.
1: Mm, excellent. So, Jürgen, I believe you do these procedures with Michael, Can you explain for me why there's both a surgeon and a cardiologist in the cath lab together?
2: Well, Sean, in fact, that is not always the case. Um, Our team, I think, in the state is quite unique in that that's uh, the case in most cases we do. As Michael pointed out, traditionally, patients with aortic stenosis were treated with surgery and there are many patients that we see that we feel the risks of surgery are such that we don't feel comfortable offering them surgery. So as a surgeon, I actually was looking for alternate ways to treat those kind of patients. And as Michael pointed out before, it is a disease of the elderly um, predominantly. And what I've seen um, being in the lab is, of course, what the technology can do, the shortcomings, but also the benefits of it. And in some ways, I think that opens my view in terms of I've got all treatment options available, and I'm very familiar with the treatment options. And I think that helps me as a surgeon to guide the patients to the right procedure. Additionally, I have to confess, it's actually also just quite fun. (laughs) Uh, It's a new skill. I've learned a lot and I have to um, really, I'm grateful to both uh, Michael and um, other colleagues um, in the interventional cardiology group that have actually provided me with the skills to be able to perform those procedures. Um, I think this is really a crucial point because, as you pointed out earlier, in some ways, it's a bit of a turf war and many surgeons probably in some ways feel threatened by the technology. I think being actively involved in doing the procedures and looking after the patients afterwards gives you much better appreciation uh, for the benefits of TAVI. And I think that that helps to select the right procedure for the right patient.
1: I, yeah, look, I can say that. So then what subset of patients are still best done as an open procedure then?
2: it's quite interesting actually being being the surgeon on the heart team you you often get to operate on patients that are tavi rejects so they have for example unsuitable femoral access vessels or unsuitable aortic root anatomy so even though patients predominantly at least at this stage are quite elderly you start operating on some of those patients now The other issue is that while aortic stenosis is the more common um, problem with the aortic valve, of course, you have patients that have isolated aortic incompetence. And because those patients' valves are often not at all calcified, they're, in fact, currently not suitable for the devices available. And those patients would benefit from surgery. And I think the biggest issue, from my perspective, is the still questionable durability of the TAVI valves. We've got pretty good data out to five years that suggests those valves are comparable to the surgically implanted bioprosthesis. But of course, younger patients, particularly with bicuspid aortic stenosis, will likely benefit from a mechanical valve replacement. Um, and those patients, of course, would be better with surgery. One of the drawbacks of uh, Tavi is that many patients are left with at least a mild paravalvular leak. And mm. while in the early trials that hasn't borne out to be necessarily a problem, of course, if you start doing those procedures in younger and younger patients, the life expectancy of these patients is, are longer. And we know from surgical studies that any paravalvular leak increases the risk of Infective endocarditis, which of course is a major issue. And so I think really age is probably a big uh, component or while age itself might not be the right um, parameter, maybe what we need to look at is life expectancy. Patients that come into the office that are in their late 70s but have no comorbidities they will be up and going after TAVI a whole lot faster than after surgery. And the question, of course, is those patients might well have a life expectancy beyond 10 years. And mm. in that situation, the question is whether those patients are still better off having surgery with a view if their surgical valve degenerates um, than having a valve and valve TAVI procedure um, when they are in their 90s. Mm. It's all fascinating stuff, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it'll be interesting to see where this uh, plays out as as time goes on. Michael, mitral valve disease, uh, very different kettle of fish. In our discussions, you were telling me it's a lot more nuanced uh, and controversial when treated by a percutaneous approach. Can you tell me what
0: procedures are available and which patients are suitable? look it's we're looking at a different group of patients and and completely different pathology so the mitral valve is often leaky because it's a functional leak and what that means is over time if you've had damage to the left ventricle be it through myocardial infarction or, or other it the ventricle itself can dilate and the ventricle itself doesn't work well and then the annulus dilates and the the valve will leak. So we're looking at often these patients have very poor ventricles to start with. That's in the functional group. Then there's the degenerative group, which is uh, more of the mitral valve prolapses. I think it would be fair to say that if the patient is a good surgical candidate and has a degenerative valve, they're probably better off in Jürgen's hands on the operating table. So what we do with the with one of the the procedure that's most uh, used with percutaneous option is called the mitral clip. And that is a uh, a clip that's used to bring the leaflets. There's two main leaflets of the mitral valve. There you bring the leaflets together. And what they do is try and reduce the amount of leak there is. Now, with a surgical procedure, you will reduce a leak to zero. But in the mitral clip, you're often trying to reduce it by one or two grades. And what we see is these patients uh, who are often patients who are presenting to hospital very frequently, with exacerbations of heart failure, they have less admissions to heart failure. They have improved quality of life and improved symptoms. Whether they have an improved outcome in terms of mortality, that's not entirely clear. And I think we have to be a lot lot more careful in how we choose these patients. But the procedure is a percutaneous procedure, where in this case, it's done through the femoral vein. So it's a venous approach and then a transeptal puncture where you put a, a little hole from one side of the heart to the other to enter the left side of the heart and then approach the mitral valve. So the clip is the most commonly used percutaneous option. But in the m- more recent times, there have been valve replacements done entirely by a percutaneous approach. And this is more, it, it's less mainstream, but it is coming, I suspect. And I think we will be using it more and more in, these, in frail patients that are unable to have surgery. Okay, thanks. Yeah, it
1: sounds like it's evolving uh, and it's a few years behind where the aortic valve therapies are at. So Michael and Jürgen, what do you see as the GP's role in the management of mitral and aortic valve disease? Perhaps if I could ask you first, Michael.
0: Yeah, look, I think the, the GP has the important role of trying to identify patients with valvular heart disease. These patients are going to have murmurs and that's how they're picked up. They are often symptomatic, and usually the most the symptoms that patients present with with both mitral and aortic disease is usually shortness of breath with exertion. So, I think the primary role is to pick up these uh, conditions and then re- referral for echo, because both conditions require echo to give you the grading of the severity and then also the appropriateness for treatment. So, the role really is to identify refer for echo and then I think and then knowing when to refer on to specialist care and I think if you're talking about symptomatic patients those patients should be referred very early asymptomatic patients can be watched and monitored but I think that with the identification early is the is the important aspect
1: Mm, okay Thanks. Uh, Jürgen,
2: did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, Sean, I think in the first instance, what Michael said is probably the most important fact. A couple of things with valve disease, even if it's not necessarily severe and uh, should lead to a referral for a specialist review, is the issue of endocarditis prophylaxis. So as a surgeon, one of the dreaded issues that we see with valvular disease is endocarditis, and that can happen in less than severe a disease, both of mitral as well as aortic valve, either stenosis or regurgitation. So it's important that patients that you follow up with even moderate aortic stenosis get counseled on regular dental hygiene, prophylactic antibiotics for other surgical procedures. And that probably you keep this in the back of your mind. If you do have a patient that has known valvular disease and they present with sort of very non-specific symptoms to always in the back of your mind have the question of whether or not they might have endocarditis and do blood cultures. Other than that, I think what Michael said is exactly right. Listening to patients' hearts is really quite important. And it is so often that I see patients, and when you take the history and ask how their valvular disease was identified, is that many patients say, oh, listen, I I changed GPs and the new GP sort of had to listen to my heart and found a murmur. So I think I would stress that a physical examination, in particular of patients that might be new to your practice, um, including auscultation, obviously, um, is useful. And if you do hear a murmur, I think you ought to organize an echo just to have a baseline. Mm, no, good
1: advice. Yeah, patients need to see the good GP, like our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Now, finally, could you each please give me two
0: take-home messages, Michael? Yeah. uh, Look, I I guess valvular heart disease is common in in this aging population, and now we have effective, minimally invasive treatment. And and secondly, I think that as this uh, our experience with these devices increase, and as the data data comes in uh, against traditional surgery, I think we're going to see that these Devices are going to expand and we're going to use them in a broader group, including younger patients. Yeah,
2: my take home message is send a patient to somebody who can offer either a minimally invasive approach as in Tavi or surgery and find a team where surgeons are actively involved. Um, In the decision making, because I think that leads to better patient selection. And while I completely agree with Michael that I think the space of TAVI and uh, mitral percutaneous interventions will expand in the future, it's a bit like the stories with stenting and bypass surgery. When stenting first started, uh, we thought that bypass surgery would completely disappear, while we've now seen a bit of a resurgence of bypass surgery because in patients with more complex disease that clearly is the better option. And I expect that the same will happen with those percutaneous valvular procedures, that we have a better understanding of the pros and cons of all. And hopefully in time, we will have better solutions also for the mitral space and hopefully be able to treat more patients. Great. Look, Michael,
1: Jürgen, thank you so much for your time today. And um, I really look forward to seeing where this area of medicine moves forward because I think it's a a really, as you say, Jürgen, a very fun and exciting area. So thank you both. Thanks, Sean.
2: Thanks, Sean, for giving us the opportunity.